What's everybody? Welcome to the Rodeo Wagon Podcast, brought to you by the Western Edge app and produced by Cosmic Cowboys. We're here with Colton Woods. Man, I've been wanting to have you on for a while now. Well, I appreciate it, man. I was excited when you sent me a message to ask me to do this. I was like, heck yeah, because I've been watching your content for a while. I Likewise, uh, you know, I'm I'm not like heavily involved in the, the horse training world as far as like social media and following, you know, all of these people, but from what I see, you know, you're doing all the things right. And you're actually one of the only people I've seen that actually utilizes your platform and markets the right way and actually takes advantage of your career. You know, I see a lot of horse trainers out there that, you know, they're stuck in the pattern of my income is if I'm, you know, training 20 horses, if I'm training five horses. That's my income. And it doesn't really go outside of that, outside of maybe having a couple clinics that really doesn't reach anybody but your local community. Yeah. Yeah. It's what I wish I knew now. I wish I knew then at the beginning what I know now. And that's kind of in the name of the game. Now that I know a lot more about the business side of systems, that's a lot of my focus has been trying to help other horse trainers and their businesses kind of get out of that. Like, man, I can only, I only got enough time of the day to train eight horses or 12 horses. And it's just like, then you realize like, cause it doesn't feel good to feel trapped in a lot of horse trainers, any of us, whether it's rodeo or if it's horse training, like we did this cause we love it. And then you start to feel trapped and you're like, okay, this isn't at some point it doesn't become worth it sometimes. And you see way too many people burn out. And my, my whole thing is that burnout's a choice. And when we make the choice to get our business working for us, we can avoid the burnout. But if we start to feel burnt out, we got to audit the choices that we made that got us there. And I think like one thing that I've noticed, especially the burnout's real in the horse training business. But I think what I what I see from, you know, my perspective and I've you know, I've I've done some horse training and but then at the same time, I've never really done it full time with with my bull riding always being at the forefront. But it's been a, a nice means of, you know, extra cash and, and being able to do that. But I, I see the burnout really coming with people in this kind of conundrum where like. I need to take on more horses because financially I have to. However, mm-hmm. once I exceed what I can really handle, you're de- you know you're either not spending the time on the horses that yeah. that you need to to really produce and and actually get the most out of what you're doing, uh, and at the same time you're overworked because then you feel like I have to, so I have to put in more time than what I physically maybe can do, physically and mentally, mm-hmm. I'm able to. Is that something that you kind of notice? Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, like sometimes people get want to find some kind of romantic answer. And at the end of the day, it takes hard work, right? If you, if you need to put groceries in the fridge and you need to keep your lights on and you got to pay your mortgage or pay your rent bill or whatever, sometimes you got to take those two extra horses that you don't really want to ride. But then the question is, then what are you going to do? Right? Okay. Bring those two horses in, bring those three horses in, whatever, ride the horse, that's trying to buck you off every day for 30 days, get the client a really good result. But then how are you going to get yourself out of that hole? How are you going to, what are you going to, what's the decision that you have to make to be able to make sure that that doesn't become a continuous cycle? Because that's where we talk about burnout is that the trainer goes, well, I have to bring on this extra horse. And then they're like, well, if I look ahead 90 days when that horse goes home, now I've got to do it again because I don't have a better plan. I, I didn't put a system in place and, you know, 
in my my journey because i mean i i mean i've got friends that go on the rodeo trail but again like you don't follow the horse training like i don't i don't keep up as much with the rodeo trail either and so you know i admire people that are hitting the road hard like that and like it's just a whole nother business model right but at the but for our horse trainers you have to go, what are we going to do different? And in my beginning of my journey, I was kind of ignorant and ignorance is bliss. And all I did was train horses to begin with. I didn't have any other source. I didn't teach lessons. I didn't teach clinics. I didn't do e-commerce. I didn't have a podcast. I didn't do YouTube. Like all I did was train horses. And when I look back at that and I talk to my students, I'm like, okay, there's a really good lesson in that. And that means that when you focus on one thing, you can get that one thing going really, really, really good, but you probably should have another source of income, one or two, that can make sure that you're not freaking out if you get hurt that you don't lose the farm, right? Mm-hmm. Or if you if you want to take a vacation that you still can and the money still keeps flowing in. And part of that is the business model of how you set, structure your training business, but also is it do you do you run a YouTube channel, right? And you get some sponsors or do you run a podcast or do you do affiliate marketing? Like there's so many options that don't take time. And that is, that's the thing. Like, you know, bull riding is kind of cool because you can ride for eight seconds. It's high risk, high reward if you're good at what you do, right? Horse training is you get paid to ride, paid to ride, paid to ride. So like you were saying at the beginning, right? You can only ride so many horses in a day and, I'm not going to spend, but like we have four levels of value that we teach. The first level of value is implementation. And this is from a guy named Myron Golden. This isn't my voodoo science, but like there, a guy named Myron Golden, who is amazing to listen to as an entrepreneur. And he teaches these four levels of value And the first level is implementation, which means you trade your time for money, right? That's horse training. Well, you're limited, right? And flying through this like second stage is unification. That means that you're like managing people you're overseeing and you have a team. So maybe you have, maybe you're the own the facility or you're the trainer, but you have someone managing the barn for you. So cool. Like now you're not hands-on cleaning stalls. So that part's taking care of, you should be making a little bit of profit because you're paying someone to do the service and you got a profit margin. Then communication, which is what, you know, you've got a podcast, you got the app, like that, that communication level is the third level of value. And then ideas, which is, an app, honestly, like your Western edge is an idea. Right. And like, when you look at earning potential, it's like time for money is anywhere from minimum wage to like $80,000 a year, because you can only make so much money. Unification is that about that hundred thousand to 250,000. And that's just people that are really good at sales or running sales teams. They're managerial people. Then you've got your communication and that, man, that goes from like you know, that can go from 250 up to like a hundred million. Cause we got actors and actresses and we've got NBA players that are entertainers. And, but you've also got podcasts, YouTube channel, communication, clinicians, um, people that teach lessons. And then the ideas is that whole like American dream, which is what I love is like, you're only one idea away from like changing the world, from changing your life. And all you need is that one idea. So the earning potential up there is just like, it's the limit it, and there's just no telling what that is, but that's kind of how we look at it. And when I re- wish I knew that, that's why I wanted to, I wanted to throw that out there because like, I wish I would have known that because I was spending so much time on implementation yeah. and I was like, man, I need to use implementation, but then how do I work on higher levels of value? That way I can create better income in my business. 
Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, and, and even like you know, within for instance, if you're a horse trainer, you know, you're you own your own business, and at that point, it's like, how do I scale this business? How do yeah. I actually? Same thing with uh, fencing is a, another good one that you know I've had some experience in, and my uh, cousin, my uncle, they run very successful fencing companies, and the biggest thing is like you reach this point where it's like, okay, now how are we going to scale this? Well, maybe it's hiring a crew and maybe you get four crews working for you. Now you're actually making money, you know, yeah. all those crews and you're paying them, you know, doubt per, per foot and all of that, you know, <laughs> yeah, same thing with the horse training, um, you know, in the model is how do you, how do you scale that? And how do you, mm-hmm. you know, for instance, if it's starting, you know, I train this horse, I get paid this much. Well, then how do you go to that next step where it's like, okay, well, you know, me training this horse is valuable, right? That's why I'm getting paid to do it. What's really valuable is the knowledge that I have on training this horse. That's actually more valuable than me training that one horse because that knowledge is valuable to a lot of people. So how do I actually utilize, you know, the the different, you know, technologies that we have in order to maximize that potential, you know, in revenue through... Yeah. You know, and 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 there's there's a lot of different ideas in which you can start to do that. You know, uh, you do clinics quite a bit. What, what are what are different ways in which you have kind of taken that next step in, you know, that whole process? Yeah, well, I mean, if 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 I backtrack just for a second, like I was terrified of public speaking, like you know, like to even to get on a podcast interview or to do a selfie video and just get my phone out and be looking like a clown out in the middle of the arena, you know, or <laughs> and nonetheless at like a horse show or at a clinic. And I'm like, all right, guys, like we're going to shoot this video real quick. Like that, that 10, 10 plus years ago was unfathomable for me. Like there was no chance. And to kind of fast forward, like the reason I started doing it from a business perspective was I want like as a horseman, I want to help as many horses and people that like, that's my mission is to educate horses and people with a lifetime in mind. So when I train a horse, I'm working with that horse in a way that it'll hopefully benefit that horse for the rest of its life. When I even when get on this podcast, like I want to give information and value to anyone that's listening to this, that they can use not just in a horse training business, but like in any business or any setting. And that's like my motivation. And I, I didn't like social media. You know, like I, I could be Amish and be so happy if I could just like crawl away onto a ranch and no one could find me. But then I'm met with the conundrum of purpose and why God put me here. And I'm like, you know what? I, I really feel called to actually go serve people and help people in equine based businesses. And that's the reason that I was like, OK, I've got to do this social media thing. It's a tool as exactly as you said. We have TikTok, we have Instagram, we have Facebook, we have email, like we have all these ways to reach people, to serve people, to provide value to people. And that's really why I do it. Now, I I use communication through clinics um, for sure. But then on a free basis, right, I use YouTube, I use TikTok, I use all the social media platforms, all the free platforms where anyone can find me. I try to be as what we call omnipresent as possible, where you can hopefully find me across the board. Then it's consistency. Can you be posting as regularly as possible, which is not easy all the time, unless you have a system, you know, that you're able to produce content. And, you know, from a podcast standpoint, like you got to line guests out and then you've got to get them on there and then you got to edit the episode and then you got to publish and it's process. 
it's a process, you know? And so, but from there it's, it's understanding. I think that this is something that a lot of us struggle with is the public speaking of, but you have to understand what your why is. Why, why do you want to communicate? Right. For me, my purpose, I have to look at this from a very unselfish perspective because I could go become like just fall away into a ranch somewhere and be so happy. Right. right. And I think a lot of horse trainers or even people that enjoy the Western lifestyle sometimes just want to like go homestead and like have their family and be happy. Yeah. And there's value to that. Right. But there's also. And you can do it and be successful at that. Exactly. You know, and it's communicating that. And so I look at my purpose and I'm like, is if I don't communicate, I, I flip the script. Instead of saying like, why should I do this? What happens if I don't do it? Right? What happens if I don't go make that video and post it? Because I feel self-conscious, because I don't like the lighting. What if I don't go say the thing that I feel called to go say? What if I don't teach the thing that I know I can help somebody with? What happens? Maybe that I missed the opportunity. Maybe someone else continues to suffer in their business because I didn't share the thing that could help them. Or maybe, you know, and I always look at what happens if it, if I don't do it. And I, and what happens for me is I see a bunch of other people that could benefit from what I have, from what I, they can learn from my experience and my knowledge and all my mistakes, save themselves years. And, th- and if, if I don't do it, they continue to struggle. And then it's my fault because I didn't put it out there for them to, to help them. And that's how I kind of kick myself in the rear end to go, I need to produce content. And everyone thinks like, oh, you do it because it's a bigger opportunity. It is a bigger opportunity. I'm very much aware of the bigger opportunity. And I have a family to take care of. And I've got goals that I want to achieve. Fine. But if you're not in it for the bigger reason, if you're not in it to actually help people, it's not worth it because it's way too much work. And there's so much hate. You know this from social media. Like there's so many critics and all that stuff that if your purpose and why isn't big enough, you're going to quiz. I would imagine the same thing with rodeo. It's so daggum hard. If you're not in love with it, you're going to quit. Yeah. Yeah. Or you should quit. <laughs> yeah. Or you should. Yeah, exactly. At least, at least in the bull riding world, like if you don't love it, if there's any other purpose outside of you loving riding bulls, then you, you, you're really an idiot. <laughs> right. I don't know how I didn't fall into it. I grew up right down the road. I worked at a ranch that was direct neighbors with uh, Jerome Davis's. Oh, no joke. So, yeah. So like I grew up, like you could bull ride like seven days a week because I'm from North Carolina. That's crazy. And, yeah. And so like every, every day to work during the summer, I would drive like 500 yards to the farm past Jerome Davis's place. And we would go to rodeos and watch people ride there all the time. And it's just like, looking back, I'm like, how did I not end up riding rough stock? You know, but I'm kind of glad that I didn't. Cause I like to stay, sit on things that don't try to buck me off. I, I wrote, so I did horses, you know, I, I rode horses and, you know, I started, you know, training horses at you know, 13. And- okay high school you know that's what i i you know i i did and um i actually wouldn't have even got on a bull until i did i was 18 but i was missouri is a weird place because rodeo wasn't big i was disconnected from rodeo so i was mm. you know i i grew up watching john lyons and oh yeah and and uh really developing those that horsemanship but completely rodeo was out of the question. I really didn't know what rodeo was until I watched PBR with my cousin at 17 years old. So we're watching it on TV outside of that, like the rodeo seemed big. What's weird is in Missouri, there's tons of horses. 
Everybody's got horses. There's not very many good horsemen. You go to places like Texas, you have a lot of good horsemen. So the horsemanship is at premium. But hmm. in Missouri, there's a lot of horses and not a lot of horsemen. So there yeah. is a lot of value in 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 horsemanship here. If yeah. you do effectively, um, you just don't you just don't see it a lot. And hmm. Kind of a and, and an interesting thing. You're from North Carolina. What's that like? You know, in North Carolina, as far as that's concerned. Um, well, I didn't grow up like I didn't grow up riding horses or anything like that. So like say that again. How'd you get into it? Um, so my family background, my parents are super entrepreneurial and they had a family business there in North Carolina. And then my dad actually had a business overseas. And so he would be my dad was gone traveling six to eight months a year. And okay he was either over in Asia or he was traveling around the United States for work. And as a young kid growing up, I was like, you know, he's, he's always working. And I didn't mind, the, I didn't mind the working part, but I always, from a naive kid standpoint, I always saw him as in the office. And I was like, I don't want to. And like, it would have been fairly easy for me to like, I had the right personality and I could have stepped up and learned the business. Like I started working in their warehouse at 13 years old. And so I like literally started at the very bottom and I could have continued up that ladder, but my parents were supportive of the fact that if I didn't want to do it, they weren't going to like try to pigeonhole me into the family business. And I just decided to go completely the other direction. I'm like, I don't want, I want to be outside. I want to be around animals and like I grew up playing football and lacrosse and golf. Like I didn't, I wasn't even around livestock really. And in high school, I volunteered at a horse rescue and I was just there pounding T post and lifting heavy stuff for them. Cause I was 16. And, but I saw these horses come through and they had been there. Like I've been there by like nine months and the horses came in and like, we got them looking better. They were behaving a little bit better, but they weren't, le they weren't finding holes. And I'm like, I, I literally knew nothing. I'm like, why? Like, why aren't these horses finding homes? And they're like, they were two to five years old usually, and they didn't know anything. They had no education. And they're like, it's really tough for somebody to adopt a young horse like that as a pasture pet because they're going to live for the next 30 some years. And then, then what, like, it's too expensive. It's not worth it. And so that I'm very purpose driven. And that gave me a reason to try to start pursuing some horsemanship and, like that was right before YouTube was even popular. So like there wasn't really a resource to go online to find it. So I just started kind of getting access into some local people. And then when clinicians would come through, um, which for me, I fell into like the Buck Brandon and the Tom Dorrance, Ray Hunt style horsemanship is my, for like Peter Campbell uh, was one of the first clinics that I ever went to. And then I went to like a Buck clinic and I just started soaking up that style because I really liked the style of horsemanship. I liked the relationship and the dynamic that they taught. And then I just ran from it from there. And I was like, you know what? This is what I'm going to do. I went, I went into college, but I basically got in and out as fast as I could. And, and I just dove head first into the horsemanship. I'm like, I've got to get, I want to get really good at this as fast as possible. And then it's just been, it's been a kind of a crazy journey. <laughs> so yeah, I, man, it is, you know, so much of the horse journey is such a, a journey of feel. As, mm -hmm. as, as the horsemanship part of it, you know, a lot of people I see and they just want to they, they want to know the answer to to a lot of this. And and, you know, there's ways to develop feel. And then there's there's 
there's the field that you can't teach. You know, you have these guys in high end cutting, you know, and these high end cutting trainers, there's a field there you can't teach. They have something that, you know, just like any other sport, there's a feel to it. But that's one thing I, 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 I love about, you know, horsemanship is, is that, that communication and that feel behind that communication, you know, you really, that communication is so much of a feel thing, uh, you know, opposed to, opposed to some things. Um, it's one reason why I, I think I prefer starting colts and starting, you know, really any green horse, you know, that's never been really handled. I, I appreciate that more than having to fix holes and then, you know, restart a foundation. That That's the thing I would never, I don't, I won't ever train horses, you know, because I, I've been around it enough now to where I see so much of the repeat and so much mm -hmm. of the, okay, every year I'm going to have to undo a few things and start over. And you try to train people. And I I don't mind. I love communicating with people and teaching people. But in in that specific niche, I'm not sure that I don't. I, I respect people that yeah. are willing to do, go through that and, and yeah. go through that over and over again um, if they need be. But I guess I really, really enjoy and and like that, you know, the starting that painting a picture, you know, with a mm. horse. And there, I, I don't think there's like I love a first ride on a colt, and there's a little bit of the romanticism to it that like they only get one first ride, and you know, and it's 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 something to me that's like you're literally going to be the first person ever to be on the back of that horse, and they only get that you only get that one experience that one time to get one first ride. Yeah. And then it's done. It would be a never be a moment that can be recreated. And it's just one of those things that sometimes I climb up on the back of a horse. I'm like, no man's ever sat here. <laughs> and no man will ever be able to say that they were the first person on the back of this horse either. And it's, it's, it's like, I don't know. It's just one of those moments where you sit there and you kind of just soak it in. And especially when that, if a colt's nice and calm and they're just like kind of chilling and you're like, man, this is, this is pretty neat. And I, I do like that about, the cult starting side. Like I've done the problem solving stuff for over a decade. And it was to me, I always tell people they're like, what do you do? I'm like, I run an equine psychotherapy center because <laughs> like, the, I was like, I don't know how else to explain it to people that don't get it because every horse that came in, we were doing such high level problem solving on horses that were coming to us. And they were, these were top end sport horses and performance horses that had just gotten so far out of hand. And for a long time, it was a lot of fun because it was always something different and it was it was just taking these different like trained quirks or personality quirks with these horses and finding ways to help these horses find a better way of existing yeah. and it was really really fun for a long time and then it honestly got to the points where like i was comfortable with anything coming in i didn't care how difficult it got i was like i can help this horse it was just a matter if i had enough time and to help be able to help that horse be successful if i had enough time we could make it happen and that was that was something i enjoyed but then at some point you're just like it's dangerous <laughs> like there was a level of dangerousness that came to it not bull riding dangerous but also like i could be doing more benefit by helping people know how to fix this which is where we started like that was about the time we started trying to help more professionals on the horsemanship development and in the business side. Cause I'm like, you know what? I can only ride this, this many horses a day. And 
I wasn't necessarily necessarily feeling burnt out, but I was starting to feel like I'm just on a loop and I'm like, I'm really helping these horses well, but I could, I, I feel like I could do more by helping people more. And that, yeah. that, that was actually the beginning of when I started going more into the, the, the personal development side for the professionals, because, um, I mean, I was having fun, but at some point you kind of, I'm busy minded. I'm like, that's why I like riding cow horses because <laughs> oh, yeah. I like, like to do multiple things and I'm pretty busy minded. And if, if I start to feel like I'm on repeat, I've got to change it up. Yeah. You can't do that on cow horses. You, nope. you start getting them in a routine and they're going to figure that out real quick. <laughs> oh yeah, exactly. Hey there folks. I want to tell you about my favorite cowboy hat brand, Sombrero Brands. As a professional bull rider, I know how important it is to have a hat that not only looks good, but can withstand the toughest rides out there. And that's exactly what Sombrero Brands delivers. Their hats are custom fitted and shaped to perfection, with a level of attention to detail that's hard to find these days. But what really sets Sombrero Brands apart is the fact that they're a family owned and operated business. Mark and Kendall Holler, the owners, and their daughter Sarah, who's only 13 but already a hat making prodigy, are all passionate about their craft. They know what it takes to make a cowboy hat that can stand up to anything the rodeo circuit can throw at it. And get this, the founder's grandfather, Polly Holler, was born and raised at South Camp on the Four Sixes Ranch. These folks have got cowboy blood running through their veins, and it shows in every hat they make. That's why I'm proud to have Sombrero Brands as a major sponsor for my podcast, the Rodeo Wagon Podcast. So if you're in the market for a hat that's tough enough to handle anything the rodeo throws at it, Give Sombrero Brands a try. Trust me, you won't be disappointed. You got to be two steps ahead of them all the time. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, that's it. You got to be ahead of them. You got to keep it fun. You can't drill on them too hard. You, you know, know, it's like... similar to a mule. Different, yeah. similar in the mindset. I, I forget who said it. You have to train a, a mule like you should train a horse. And that yeah. that's true. I trained for a guy up in Springfield, Missouri, for about a year and a half, two years. And... um that was probably the best. I probably learned more from that year and a half training mules than mm. I had done my entire life. Just because those those suckers are smart and they're thinking. Very and, smart. You know, <laughs> yeah. I, I've only worked with a handful of them over the years, but I mean, all the ones I have worked with, they've been pretty wicked smart. Like you just take your time and you make sure you're being thorough. <laughs> you have to be careful because you can run a mule. You know, it's, it's a lot harder to run a horse where they never can be fixed. You can take a mule to a place where I don't, it, you can't really bring them back from. Yeah, I had I had a couple genuine start mule, like first start mules. And then I had one that was a restart. That thing was like 17-2. And that one, that one was tough. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that one, that one, I don't know that we like, and that, that was really early on. I was still in college and I, I didn't know hardly anything, but I was working underneath a guy that knew quite a bit and we just took our time with him, but he was so, he had some problems and we, we, he was tough. Well, on that point, what does that look like for you? And, and even, so what does it look like for you and your communication with, um, you know, customers? And then what does that look like uh, when you're communicating with people you're teaching on, Mm -hmm. you know, that prep? So when you, you get a new horse that comes in, there's a really valuable time slot before you start working with this horse where you're communicating with that, the, the owner. Yeah. And, you know, what does that look like? How, how do you flesh out things you need to know 
to make sure that you're prepared to handle this horse the best way. Does that does that even matter? That 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 conversation matter as much um, for the horse, or is it more for the the owner? Or um, you know, is is most of that coming in? You know, you you feeling it out as you're working. Yeah, that's a solid question. So it's that for us is like step number three in our in our framework. Okay. And it's what we would consider our closing process. And so we've already got attracted step two is attraction. So we've already got somebody that's attracted to our business. They they reach out and they're like, hey Colton, we want to send a horse to you. That's when we step into step number three, which is going to be like, how do I know that this is the right client for us, right? How do we know that this is going to be the right horse? How do I know that I'm the right trainer for this client? And so from a, this works with any horse-based business, but I always refer to it as like the training trifecta, which for horse training businesses, and it's just a triangle. And it's like, say you have the owner up here and you've got the trainer down here and you got the horse over here, right? So not every trainer is going to be for every owner and not every owner is going to be for every trainer, not every trainer is for every horse. Not every horse is for every trainer. Not every owner is for every horse. And every horse is for every owner, right? So when we understand like that those arrows have to go all directions, like everything needs to as best as possible be the right fit, then I, as the business owner, because I'm going to be receiving money in exchange for services and a result with a horse, I bear the responsibility of trying to make sure that I'm the right trainer for that owner. That owner is the right owner for my program and that the horse that they have, I don't, I'm more focused on, can that horse be successful in my program? Right. I don't usually always have a lot of context, enough context up front to go, is that horse the right horse for that owner? Because I don't know them both well enough. I might figure that out with time. And honestly, like as a professional, that might be a conversation I have like, Hey, Susie, Fred, isn't the right horse for you. But some owners are going to want to hear it and some owners won't. And that's a whole nother conversation. But like when they reach out, we we have we do this in our program. We do this. We teach this to all of our students, which is an application process. And it's a lot of people think it's an application to keep people out. It's an application to make sure that everybody's the right fit. And so in that application, we get all the basic details. We get why they want to send the horse. What are the goals with the horse? when they want to send the horse, the horse's medical history. It's literally a questionnaire. I just did a TikTok video about this like yesterday. And it's like a five minute questionnaire. Like it should not take them any more than five minutes. And right then up front, I know if it's a gated horse and I don't ride gated horses, then I know that I'm not the right trainer. Right. If it's a, if I'm a performance horse trainer and they're trying to send me a trail horse, I know that, that the client's goals of what they want to do and what I can get done in my results, I don't trail ride horses. I ride performance horses. So then maybe that's not the horse for my program, right? And you, you could you could it, you could twist that any which direction, right? You could be a trail trainer and someone wants you to do barrels, and you're like, I do trail horses, not barrel horses. You have to know who you're for because a lot of times trainers think I got to make money, I got to make money, and so they try to be for everybody. And if you talk to my wife, who is like the branding genius behind our businesses. She'll tell you, if you try to be for everybody, you're going to be for nobody. So you've got to pick who your audience is. Who do you who do you get solid results for? That's who you need to focus on. And the beginning for me, right, I, could, I didn't grow up riding horses. I got really good at groundwork before I ever really got to ride. Yeah. So in the beginning, my service was really solid groundwork. 
And then the horse, then I would tell those owners, take those and send those to the trainer that could start them under saddle. And then I developed a relationship with those trainers to say, what can I do better? And they would tell me like, oh, this was really good. The horse was too, too quiet or too dull on this thing. And they gave me direct feedback. And then I, as my riding skills got better, then I could, then I could start offering riding services. Like that was the very beginning. Right. But we take them through, we have them fill out that application and it's on a website to where they see every detail about my program or they have the opportunity to, so they can see what we teach, how much we like, what our, what vet we use, how much we charge, what they can expect, you know? And so right at the beginning, we're setting very clear expectations of, cause some clients reach out, Hey, I want to send a horse to you. How much do you charge? It's like the most famous Facebook message ever. I want to send this horse to you. How much do you charge? And frankly, I don't answer that because it's on my website. So I say, Hey, Susan, thanks so much for reaching out. Um, would love the opportunity to talk with you about your horse and what you want to accomplish together. Here's a link to my training horse page with all the details and to answer most of your questions. And there's a link to the application so that I can get some further details. Look forward to talking to you on a phone call. So I already give her a place to go with all the information. I don't dismiss her question, but I give her a place to go because it's already answered on the website. She's got to fill out an application. For personally, I want clients that can follow instruction because they're they're coming to me for, for professional guidance and they're going to trust me to do best by their horse. So they have to trust me that I have a process to get their horse the results. Well, I've also have a process to get my clients the results that they need. And if a lot of, a lot of times some clients go, I don't want to fill out that stupid application. And it's like, then we're not the right fit. Right. Like you and I aren't gonna be the right fit. So I put a little bit of an obstacle there to find the right clients. And then they fill it out. And then I have the information. We jump on a 30 minute phone call with them. Talk to them about, I, we get, I can figure out the clarifying questions. They can ask me clarifying questions. I can let them know like, hey, when your horse comes in, we're going to do a one to two week evaluation. That'll let me know. Like I already have an idea of how long the horse needs in general. But then within the first two weeks, I'll have a much clearer idea because I'll actually work with the horse. Then I can provide feedback while that horse is in training. Guys, anybody that's a horse trainer that's watching this, I would just copy exactly what I'm telling you to do and what we do and what we teach our students to do. And when the horse is in training, they get weekly updates, written updates. They get photos every week and videos every other week. So that way there we're, and we put that all on a back end of a website to where we put that in there. And then every week they're getting updates. And when it's done, it's like a big training log. Yeah. 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 So that way when the horse goes home and they're like, Oh, like you guys didn't do this. We never run it. We don't really ever run into that because it's all written out with photos and videos and we already have a rubric of what the horse is doing. So we've completely covered our basis. When the results are there and the communications there, you, your clients have an amazing experience. And the and like then they they send horses back. They your their friends send you horses. And then you just you have more business than you know what to do with. Yeah. That's one thing. So like with Western Edge app, one of my visions on because it, it very much on the equine side, as much as it had been on the rodeo side, because one of the, the biggest things I have seen uh, is like, how do you find a horse trainer that is that meets your needs as an owner? Mm -hmm. And a lot of that is, you know, their ability and their communication, what they're specializing in, what they're not specializing in, but also where they're located uh, and how to access, you know, 
the content that you need to make that decision as an owner before you reach out. And, you know, one of the things with our profiles that we have is, you know, the ability for a person like a, a, a horse trainer, even a farrier, for somebody mm-hmm. to go on this app and to be able to find them by keywords and type in horse trainer and type in near me or the city that I, you know, would prefer to, you know, you know, if I'm boarding somewhere and, you know, I want I want to be near that facility, you know, what is what does all that look like and be able to find and connect with those horse trainers horse trainers more efficiently by going to their profile, being able to look at their content, you know, actually have an in-depth bio and for, you know, businesses, a horse trainer affair is to be able to actually utilize a service like that, where it's a hundred percent of the people are your kind of people, you know? Right. Yeah. Yeah. It makes it difficult on Facebook and you really grow your, your Instagrams and your, your Facebooks and your Twitters and you do your best to grow those, but those platforms are not only so huge, they're so broad that that's the downside to our social media sites. They've became yeah, it's like a big ocean. Yeah, it's an ocean and, and you're yeah. you're missing so much of your uh, your audience. And hmm. you can use, you know, paid ads. It is very helpful to use those, but still you gotta think a lot of that money's not actually going towards them. So, you know, you're still only getting maybe a little bit more of that audience. Uh, that was, that yeah, was, it's huge. Like if you guys are creating and if within Western Edge, right, if you guys are creating a community of people that are buyers. Right. And I know you are because I like I've got a profile on there and I can see the different businesses that have profiles that are able to kind of organically advertise. Right. Their businesses through that based on how the profiles are set up. And it's like if I'm a horse trainer and I know that there's people on the app that are interested in horse training services then it's like, heck yeah, you want, cause that's instead of being in the ocean, that's like being in a pond. Yeah. Right. Right. And it's, and then the, you're really providing a benefit. You're buying providing exposure for the trainers, but also you're making it much easier for the clients because if the client is the type of client that's like, I want to stay within a 25 mile radius of this location, then that's a requirement that they have. And I just had like a lady that, um, has been a really good client of ours, but we were in Kentucky for well over 10 years and now we're in Texas. And she reached out to me and she's like, man, if you were still in Kentucky, I'd send you the horse, but I don't want to send the horse all the way to Texas. And, you know, and for her, that was, to me, I was like, I'm really glad that you know that because I don't want you to like commit and then, and then get upset that the horse gets to Texas and it's too far. Right. So she's like, I need a train that's more local. Right. So that was her important to her versus you got other clients that are like, I just want the best trainer in the country to train this horse for this thing. And if you have a search query in Western Edge to where they can find like they can find all the trainers that train for those topics, that's huge. Right. Yeah. And, you know, another thing that like I even noticed was and this this is why social media. So if you own a business, if you are an even an athlete you own a business, like your image is your business. And it's really important to utilize, you know, these technologies because uh, I had a buddy that, you know, was riding full time. He trains his own horses, but he knew he was going to be gone for like three months and he needed to get this cult started and, Mm. and going while he was on the road. And he had heard of this guy that was like an hour and a half from him. And he sent that horse to him. Three months later, he gets this horse back and he's like, 
man, that just that was a waste of my time and money sending that horse away. And so you start you see that quite a bit that that actually happens where like it's strictly word of mouth and it's and and these these trainers aren't doing their due diligence. And and that's really not a knock so much on the trainer or on on the guy that sent the horse. It's really a knock on, you know, the, the need for proper communication in order to actually connect people, you know, and make sure the right person is going to the right trainer and the right. Well, and the thing is that COVID really shook some things up because, you know, before a lot of referrals have been word of mouth and still word of mouth is the most powerful, powerful testimony and referral that you can get for your business. Like if you have more people doing word of mouth, you can never keep up with business. But at the same time, there's always new people looking for new new services, new providers, whatever. And it doesn't matter whether you're looking for a tire shop for your truck or your tractor, or if you're looking for a horse trainer. Like your people are searching. But the thing with COVID is that people got really comfortable making decisions based on what they find online. And so we saw this, and this happened a lot for our business. And I've talked to a lot of professionals for before COVID. People would be like, oh, I'm really interested in your program. Could I come by the farm and like watch you ride a couple of horses, talk with you and get to meet you? And like that was very normal. Whereas like those requests have dramatically tanked since COVID because people have been shopping online. They got stuck at home and they were cruising the Internet for hours and hours and hours. And they got comfortable with Amazon delivery you know, prime delivery, and they got used to getting things quickly, and they got used to getting all the information on a website and being able to go, okay, this is everything I need to know about this product or this service. Do I want it? Yes or no, right? And that has really put some horse businesses in a bad position because their their online presence is not strong. And so we 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 ran some Facebook questions out to our audience and across some different groups. And we were asking, basically, we were going, we were asking people that were training horse clients, people that would want to send their horse into training. And we were like, how important is it that they have a Facebook page or like a social media presence that they're posting regularly? We like asked a ton of questions about websites, social media, and the overwhelming consensus. And I mean, like we would have, I don't remember the exact numbers, but it was well over 80% of the people that responded were basically saying that if the trainer didn't have an active social media presence and they didn't know who the trainer was, they were just, they had come across them, but they weren't active on social or didn't have a complete professional website that they would just move on to the next person and find someone who did because they couldn't build the, the client, potential client couldn't get enough information to, to really know who that trainer is, what they do, what the services were, which means if they don't know who they are, they can't begin to like that trainer. They don't like the results because they don't know what they are. And we always say from an internet marketing standpoint, they have to know you, like you, and trust you before they'll ever buy from you. And if you're missing that web presence, you're missing the opportunity to, for people to get to know who you are, to get to like you based on what you put out there and to trust you so that they eventually will pay you. And that's that's been something that we've really leaned into to help other professionals because it's like, man, you, you, people are looking for you. The scary part is those before they would call you, they would come out to your barn and if they didn't like it, they just wouldn't call you back. But now they're going to your Facebook page, going to your website, looking you up. You never knew that they checked you out and they leave and you never knew they left. So you can never follow up with them, right? When you when you realize that people are 
checking you out and leaving and you're missing those opportunities, it's like that's that's when the business side really has to come in. And we've got to give people a really good experience. My, my wife is like all about branding. And I used, I used to think branding was like a website and a logo, right? I'm like, oh yeah, branded, right? And he's like, yeah, you're already laughing. Yeah. Right? And she's like, no, like branding is the experience that people have with you when you're not around, right? right. And so a website is like your 24 seven, you know, front face of your business. And that's branding. Like when people come to your website or come to the Western Edge app, do they have a good experience? If they like the experience, they're going to come back, right? They're going to come back. And I'm sure that you guys probably use that tally of people that log in continuously day after day after day as a metric of, are we on the right track? Like, yeah, it's a gamification for people to, to be at the leaderboard, but it's, I'm, I'm sure it has to be a metric that you guys watch to make sure, are we making moves that people enjoy? Well, and we have to from a business standpoint. Have to, and, and you utilize that in order to make that experience and your brand better. You know, yeah. we're always saying it, it, a lot of what you're doing is based on the customer. 100%. Not all of it, because you still have non-negotiables. Yep. And you better have non-negotiables, because if you don't have non-negotiables, then the authenticity of your product is going to get trashed and mm. you may succeed, but I'm not about it. I, I believe that it, it must be authentic. It, it must be authentic, at least in its, its origin and, you know, its foundation, there's non-negotiables, but outside of that, you know, the consumer in a lot of ways is going to dictate, you know, um, ways in which you can improve. And a lot of times it's almost like, you know, reading your own paper where you just miss so much of you know your spelling errors and then mm-hmm. when somebody else reads it then all of a sudden okay so when you actually start to really pay attention to the consumer and their experience you start saying things that you miss because you weren't in their shoes so i know with western edge we're you know weekly you know monthly looking at it like okay let's take one day put ourselves in the shoes of someone who's getting on this app for the first time what are they seeing, you know, and where are they going based on the data we know? And if we go through that process, now what are we finding out? Is there certain things that we're missing that we can, you know, add to? And then even just communication and and talking to people, you mm-hmm. know, asking the question, you know, what what do you want, you know, out of what we're doing? And, and what ways do you see this brand, you know, providing a better experience for you? And yeah. a lot of times people are genuine in, in their response. It may not be the response you want, but it's at least a genuine response. And and then you can kind of, you know, use the numbers and the metrics to say, okay, this is, this is a response that's actually happening quite often. Maybe mm-hmm. I can adjust this a little bit in order to make this experience better for the people. Yeah, and that's, things- a, that's a very selfless thing that's so important because I think so many, like whether it's creating an app creating a, any kind of service, right? It's like we get into it because we think it's going to be fun. We think it's going to be cool. It's something that we're interested in doing. doesn't matter what it is. But then at some point you get far enough down the track that you have to go, why am I doing this? Am I doing this for me or am I doing this for the person that's going to benefit from it? Because at the end of the day, right, in order for the business owner to win, all of the consumers have to win. Like the more people you serve, it's the whole, um, draw a blank on his name, but it's just like, um, you know, the more people that you help accomplish the things that they want in life, the more that you'll receive in return, 
right? And when you put everyone else in forefront, when you put the users of the app at the forefront and you help them have a better experience, it just makes the app more successful, which makes in turn, it's like a byproduct. Like your success just becomes a byproduct of that because you focus on helping other people have an amazing experience because you help horses have a better education because you help owners develop their skills. Like when you just focus on helping other people and solving their problems and having better results, success is like the byproduct. It's like, you can, you're not chasing success. You're just, you're chasing service. And when you yeah. serve other people, well, success is if you're good enough and you're doing it in a, in a tactful way, right. Authentically, right. Then success is going to be there. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I, I guess I have a question um, okay. you know, on, on a lot of this and, and this is going back to what you were saying earlier. Um, the discipline as a business owner, but even especially in a service-based, you know, industry like horsemanship is to say no. And, and like, so how important is that discipline to engrave into the people that you're teaching that are, you know, horse trainers or becoming horse trainers, like, you know, knowing that I don't specialize in this. And like you were saying, you you want to take them on because to the finances that's a non-negotiable i would think you know one of those non-negotiable yeah, i mean i think the biggest thing is can you get the result that they're after right um if you cannot do not take that horse on and right and there's and the thing is we're all always learning there's gonna be horses that come in the barn that challenge you with something that you've never come across before especially early on when you have a lot to learn and when that happens, you're gonna have to figure it out. And that's when you just got to have grit in the tank. And I had multiple horses that did that to me across the years, where the horse came in for one thing, and you pull the hood up and you're like, holy smokes, right? And that's when you start picking the phone up and you and you start calling mentors, friends, people that are more experienced, and you say, hey, this is what's going on. Because at the end of the day, right, it's about getting that horse, the result, getting the owner, the result that they paid for, but helping that horse Real, I mean, I want the horse to have a good experience. They're in training. They're, we're going to have to work through the rough spots along the way. But at the end of the day, that horse should come out much better on the other end of that. And that means that if I run out of knowledge, <laughs> I've got to call someone that can help me. That means maybe I got to take that horse to a friend's place and be like, can you help me with this? Because I don't know what to do. And it's just being willing to let the ego go aside and go, this is where, this is where I need some help, Right. But like, yeah, you've got bills to pay. And a lot of times the horses, horses are the simple part, right? It's it's a lot of times the people part <laughs> that a lot of horse trainers go, I love the horses. I don't want to deal with the people. It's like, for us, it's then make sure you're bringing in the right people. Attract, one, make sure you're attracting the right people. Make sure that when you close them and you go through that process before you say, yeah, your horse can come to training, that you've actually made sure that they're a good fit for your program. And a lot of people think that if they start getting exclusive, that they're going to lose clients. And it's like, it does just the opposite because the more exclusive something is, the more that people want it. Yeah. Number one. And number two, it shows a dedication that you're actually there to make sure that you can help that horse, that you can help that owner, that everyone's going to have a good experience. You're, you're taking the responsibility on as a professional and a lot of train horse clients, particularly, love professionalism they're like oh my gosh finally not just some run-of-the-mill horse trainer operation that's just fly by the seat of their pants you know like 
high level clients don't like to see trainers in distress because if if a if a really high quality client, it doesn't mean they have a lot of money, but I mean, I'm talking about someone that's genuinely good to work with and can pay their bill consistently. They'd like to know that their trainers are taken care of because if the trainer is not financially, physically, mentally, emotionally distressed, they can be there to actually get the horse the best training possible. They can be there to coach that student in a lesson. But if a trainer is like trying to figure out how to rob Peter to pay Paul to pay the mortgage, or they're physically just toasted because they're not eating right and they're drinking 18 monsters and coffee and they're not going to bed till ridiculous hours and they're just doing all this stuff. High level clients notice that. And if they start to see that it's a long period, it's not just a horse show, but it's a, but it's a way of life. They know that the, at the end of the day, it's the results will suffer. And yeah. it's, that's why it's like people watch. And we always say like, like attracts like, you know, birds of a feather flock together. So it's like, if you want higher level clients, you got to audit what you're doing. Are you running your business very professionally? you got systems in place that you're making sure that you're not just completely burnt out and wiped out all the time. And that, you know, it's, it's, it's being very meticulous to all the details because other people notice, and there's a lot of people watching that you don't think are watching. And if you, if it looks like a shit show all the time in your barn with running around phones ringing, da, 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 and it's just, it's not, it's not busy, but it's chaotic and it's disorganized. There's certain clients that are not attracted to that and they'll go elsewhere because they, 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 they audit that. Yeah. And, and, and especially any, any clients that pay attention to the actual horses because horses are reading people. Yeah. Horses read people as much as we read horses. You know, that's, that's literally what they are. You know, horses are herd animals and they're not predators. So, you know, they they are always reading the at the atmosphere and and people obviously so anybody that's reading horses and if you see that you know that the horses that that are it being run through that facility mm-hmm. is actually not going to get the the best experience either and you know they're not going to reach their potential as a horse and as a client i don't want to take my horse somewhere where i don't feel confident that that horse is not going to reach its potential yeah you know yeah. You know, you, you look at getting the exclusive, like it's going to bring, it brings more clients in and, you know, you can scale a training business, but it's all in relation. We've heard, you know, I, I've been talking about this since like 2017, 2018, when I first started putting on a little bit of business content. And I was like, I really think that a lot of the younger professionals coming out are going to be running smaller programs where they're going to be riding a fewer horses, but they're really focused on high quality experiences that way because it's only getting more expensive and it's getting harder to buy these facilities to get the land. The horses are getting more expensive. And I think like the overall, like the horse flesh getting more expensive, I think is good for the industry. But as professionals are coming up, we're like, how do you navigate this? How do you break in? How do you get to that next level? And I have always been quality over quantity. And then there's been people like Andrea and Clinton that have come out with interviews and podcasts where that is the model. But once you start getting past like, you know, somewhere between about eight to 10 horses for one trainer, you've got to have another trainer for another set of horses. You've got to have another set of grooms, another set of stall cleaners, like everything is in relation to that. And so for us, like it's the money is not necessarily in the quantity of horses. It's in the quality of the results 
in the experience and building in the profit margins based on the quality of experience and value and and results that you're getting. That's how you're going to get your profit. Like profit, it's all from there. It's just margins because it just replicates with more horses and then more horses, more liability doesn't always mean more money. What are your thoughts on, uh, you know, if a, a, a new trainer's coming up, right? And they're kind of at that that spot where they can learn five different, you know, disciplines, let's call them, you, mm-hmm. know, you know, which is specific horses that are doing specific things. And, and they can really spend their time to really broaden their understanding and learn different methods for different horses going into different disciplines. Or would you suggest that, or or would you go the route of it's preferred to go into one of those disciplines and 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 master that discipline as much as you can, and then possibly kind of expand your horsemanship portfolio, if you would, in in you know where your your actually training is is being going towards. Yeah, I think in the beginning, and when I say beginning, I don't care whether you're 35 or 15 or maybe even 45, right? The age the age doesn't really matter. It's where you're at in your journey of experience, right? And if if you're making a career switch and you're wanting to go down the you know the professional horse training route, or if you're high school, college age, like whatever, the number one thing I think is like stay in learning mode as long as you can. So if whether you go one discipline specific or if you go try to taste what different disciplines have to offer, I don't think there's a right answer either way. I think that if you don't know what you want to go do, then quit thinking about it and just commit to go and try something, right? Like so many times, well, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. And six months go by. It's like, you could have had six months of experience, like go DM 18 trainers or 880 trainers and figure out like people need help right now. Um, if you don't know what you want to go do, go learn, right? Go there to learn. Don't worry about the money. Like make sure that you can eat, but stay in learning mode. And I say, don't worry about the money because the money will come and you need to have a plan for how you're going to make money. But when you're in learning mode, it you can't let the learning opportunities let the money overshadow the learning opportunity. So you need to make sure if you go to work for somebody that you're actually going to get taught. And that means that you're like, maybe you do start cleaning stalls, but I'm a big fan. Like, like I I hire mentors and I hire coaches because I pay them for their time and they teach me. And I think that's the biggest ROI that you can get. Like if you're in a position to go pay Todd Bergen and be like, Todd, Like, can I come spend a week with you? Or can I, like, then you're going to get concentrated information if you're in a position to do that, right? If you're not, then you have to be very intentional about who you're going to learn from, what that experience looks like, how much, how can you provide as much value to that business and that owner as possible so that in turn, they will, hopefully, they're not guaranteed, but hopefully they see that you're pouring into them Always give, 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 give. And over with the right people, they'll see that and they'll give back to you, right? But there's making sure that you hedge your bet. If you don't know what to do, pick a discipline, pick a trainer, go do it. If you hate it, end on good notes. Be like, hey, I came here with the intention to learn as much as possible. This rain cow horse thing isn't for me. 
I really love working with you guys, but do you like, I'm more interested in this. Do you know somebody that could point me in that direction? And they might be like, if you, even if you don't like the thing, you can still give it your all. And then they could defer you somewhere else. And they, cause they, those people have connections and they'd be like, Oh yeah, you can go over here and try this. Right. Just go learn. If you already know the discipline and you're not in the discipline, you're kind of just wasting time. Like go find someone. The beauty of it too. It's a lifelong thing. I, I, yeah. I haven't met one successful horseman who stopped learning, mm-hmm. always, always learning. And, 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 you know, the more you learn, the more you take from different pieces. And, you know, uh, Dennis Capel, he lives near me. And, um, you know, I've learned a lot from him. One of the most valuable things I learned from him was continue to learn, look at everybody. And what you'll find is you'll, you'll take little tidbits from all of these people and it'll develop your, what, what will become your own, you know, and you'll start building a foundation based on a lot of wisdom from different people. And you'll take things and you'll, you'll take pieces from each individual, some, some people more, some people less, but always being learning and and you'll continue to develop that. And then horse world, you got to ride. If you're not riding a lot, that may be the number one thing, no matter how, if you're a great businessman, but you're not, you're not doing your due diligence to be, to be on horseback and actually, you know, immersing yourself in that discipline, then you'll always struggle. And, you know, you have some of the best horsemen in the world, you know, that you'll never hear from, you know, yeah. um, vice versa. And, and they could maybe on their business model <laughs> actually do much better for themselves because of the experience that they have from just riding. yeah i mean it's just that you got to feel out like i mean the very first job i took out of college i went there with three goals ride horses and get better with horses see the country meet as many people as possible (laughs) like i kept it that simple get better with horses meet people see the country right when those three things did not become a thing anymore because their business model changed and we weren't traveling as much and i got put on as farm manager like when those three targets, all three basically came off the table, I was like, it's time for me to go. Right. And so sometimes we overcomplicate it. And I was like, I wasn't there for the money because I wasn't making anything hardly. And, but you, you still give it your all, you give it everything you can, but you, you go there with the vision of why am I here? Right. It still comes down to that. Why am I here? And understand that it's a long game. Right. It's it, you're just saying it's it's a lifelong journey of learning. That part will never end. And to go spend six months, 12 months like those are that's super short. You're barely starting to scratch the surface at any program 12 months in. The only the only way I really know that you could get a lot out of 12 months is to do it 24, 7, 365. Right. Is to be there like in the like in, in to be able to do it at a way where you're actually riding horses and you're involved in the show process if you're doing performance horses and like you're eating breathing and sleeping like the true value part of what makes a good horse trainer so you're getting better at the training and the riding yeah you're probably picking some stalls and stuff but you're not only picking stalls right if you spend a whole year only picking stalls then you're looking at the roi that's kind of tough you might have to do it for a couple months but what's the what's the vision and good good programs have a vision of like, well, you're going to start here and this is how you can progress in our team. And is and that's something that I would be looking for, you know, but we, we've done it a little differently on our end because we started the professional horseman school 
And the whole reason I did that is because I was like, man, I, I did go to college. And I was like, I would have rather gone to that. <laughs> you know, I would like go into a program where I'm going to ride every day. You learn the business and you learn the horse training. And my, our first program is a foundation program. And so my whole goal is that you can either go out and you can go teach people how to do the foundation, like foundation on the groundwork, the ridden skills, or you can start colts for a living and you can, you can go out and make a living training horses, or you could take those skill sets and go work for another trainer and be an actual asset to their program. So you're, you can come in and like, you could actually provide value to their training horses. So that way you're not coming in at the very bottom. Sure. They may not, they may be like, Oh, well, we'll see how you get when you get here, but if they give you a chance to step on the horse. You can actually show them, you know what you're talking about. And they're like, Oh, you're much better suited on the back of a horse rather than with a pitchfork. Yeah. Like that's kind of how we visit. Cause it's all about the value that you bring to other people, which is what you and I've talked about so much. And that's where, how we position the school is like, if you want to actually, here's, here's a hot take. Cause I, this kills me. It's like, the working student program in our business is so outdated because people are like, Oh, you have to spend this many years just picking shit right out of stalls. And it's like, they think that because that's what they did. And it's like, the fact of the matter is that if you just really concentrated on really riding and getting really good at the training side, yes, you have to know how to manage a barn. You have to know how to do nutrition and medical care. And you have to know how to manage a team in the barn, all of that, we're not talking, like, that's obvious. Yes, you have to know how to do that. Of course you do if you want to run a business. But you can't run a business training horses if you don't know how to train horses. <laughs> and if you can focus on the actual value side of like what is going to get me to that place where I can run my own business or to where I can work for some of the top trainers, that means developing your skills with horses. And I think that we're so kind of stuck back in the in this old thought process of it has to take 10 years before anyone's qualified to start riding for a trainer. And it's like, that would make sense if you're eight years old and you have nothing but time to kill. So that by the time you're 18, you've earned your stripes because you spent your whole teenage years. But if like, if you're 18 or if you're 25, like in 10 years, you could be a doctor doing brain surgery, making a hell of a lot more money than training horses. And it's like, you got to look at time and opportunity cost. And it's like, to me, I, we don't know how much time we have on earth and we don't know how much time we're going to be blessed with that. And it's like, how can I get this done the fastest? Like, how can I learn as much as possible the fast I can? Nothing's going to, nothing's going to surpass experience in the saddle. Nothing's going to surpass feel, which takes time to develop. And some people have better feel than others just naturally, but with a lot of a self-awareness and a lot of practice and listening to other people that know more than you, you can develop it, a lot of it. And it's like, but the idea that we have to riff raft around in this business for X amount of years, because that's what the last generation did, because that's just the way it is. And it's like their college and like all these little things that people say. And it's like, we should all want to make this industry better. Like, Together, we should want to in the next 10 years, 20 years, 40 years, 60 years, 80 years, we should want to look back and be like, man, it was going on in 2023, but now it is like this industry is amazing. And people like and students are able to come in and actually progress and get better faster. 
But like so many people are like, well, that's the way I did it. So we, we just end up like on this little repeat cycle. I would it's say like, that it's to the detriment too, you know, yeah. especially nowadays, because you can't, you can't have a, especially children, you know, even, even somebody else, if you, if you think that you have to come in and you have to learn the, you know, the, the muck installs and you have to really the muck installs and the labor part of it before you ever get on a horse, if that's a requirement, you're taking out a huge bulk of people that showed interest and they're like, that's not worth it to me because that's not what I want to do. You know, yeah. like that's what you should do is actually start encouraging and finding ways to give, you know, somebody shows interest. My This is my thoughts. And this is my thoughts on, on, on if I'm training a writer as well. Right. So if, if I'm putting on a school, okay. Bull riding school, my, my, the first thing I look at is, you know, what's that interest and what's that love that they have for what they're doing. Right. And how can I take them from where they're at to that next step where they want it even more? <laughs> I want to take them, you know, if I'm, if I'm getting, you know, and, and this is, this happens in the in the bull riding world where they have schools, a kid will come, he wants to get on the barrel. He's showing a lot of interest, but then he doesn't want to nod his head. And, you know, there's, there's guys out there, they're like, nod your head. And if you don't, then you should probably just quit. And all of a sudden that kid leaves and he never has an opportunity to ever really, you know, reach maybe that next level of desire um, instead of, you know, allowing, you know, somebody, even if it's, you know, a kid sit on that steer and he doesn't want to nod his head. That's fine. I don't want to push him to a point where he loses interest. I want him to get to that spot and then maybe it's okay if he gets off. And then we go back to the barrel and, and that progression starts and it, it, maybe it's five, maybe it's 10 times. And then he nods his head and then he gets to feel that experience, you know, and, you know, with the, the horse training world, I think allowing for people that opportunity to, you know, get a taste of what that's like in, in the saddle, even, mm -hmm. even if it may mean the requirements of everything else still need to be done. It's not like you need to do this for this long in order to get experiences. It's like, this is what this tastes like. This is what we're after. But what's including in this is a holistic. So really. Yeah, and I'm all about like reasonable metrics, right? If you're going to have someone come in and start riding in your two-year-old, like later in your two-year-old program, you might say like, listen, in order for you to have the next opportunity, you have to really have quality starts on 50 horses or a hundred horses. Like we, you have to prove yourself that you're going to put the work in, but you have enough reps that you understand how we do this part of our business. Well, that's no problem, but like why, you know, and I, I so appreciate what you just said because one, you're dealing with thresholds, right? Like you're doing in that situation, you're doing someone that's like gets in a position and they're like, I don't know about that. Right. And you're going, I don't want this kid. I don't want to lose this kid for the benefit of our sport for the fact that I think he should just nod his head. Like that's, that's someone else's ego creeping in being like, well, I mean, I wouldn't have done that. So like this kid needs to do it. And it's just like, no, like everyone's on their own track. You know, if they don't fit your program, then say like, try to just, then maybe they need to go find another program to be a part of. Right. And that's totally fine. But like, don't just completely sweep them under the rug you know, for the fact that like, oh, we're just going to kick, stick this kid in a stall and like make him muck stalls for the next year and a half until he quits. Because it's like, no, like 
most, most people are running good businesses, but like there's enough out there that you see folks that are, that are, it's like, are we gatekeeping this deal or are we actually trying to make the industry better? Because you can't have it both ways. You can't sit there and say, well, because I took me this long to get this experience, they have to do it that way too. It's like that kid might be better than you. And if that kid's better than you and he's in your program, you might want to ante up and give that kid some opportunities to prove himself, to see how good he is, and then to be there to coach and be like, hey, you really you really have some talent and some ability, but you got to be disciplined, and I want to help you get there. But then that kid's an asset because you're like, man, this, this if I treat this person like an athlete really properly, they might stick with me for a long time, and then they might go and start their own thing. But it's it's like, why are we – like, people just have to audit, like, what are the intentions? Like, what, why are we doing this? What did that look like um, on 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 that specifically? Like, at what point as a mentor, right? At what point does a student reach to a point where a mentor either says, okay, I need to bring them into my system and I need to give them a job within it and manage them, really, you know, and that's a kind of the scaling process of that business. It'd be the same thing if you're building a fence and you have trained this person, they reach a point where they can run the show. So you mm-hmm. say, okay, you need to run your own crew under me. Or as a horse trainer, do you say, hey, you have learned, come back, you know, you know, do whatever you want here, but you have reached a point where you really should start to consider building your own you know, business mm-hmm. and actually, you know, pulling away from what you're doing here and starting to develop that same thing yourself. And what yeah. does that look like in the the mentorship part? And I, it's just always a question I wondered within the horse show, because that I mean, can be difficult too, because you're losing an asset if you tell somebody to, to go. You're <laughs> not losing them, but you kind of are. Yeah, I mean, I think that we're... I think entrepreneurship in general is one of the biggest blessings because to me, it's like, yeah, we have the opportunity to train horses and teach people and stuff, but you also have the opportunity to build a business that can make a living for other people. When you like, when you have employees and you have people on your team that you're paying, then you're, you're providing for their family, right? Which is a big responsibility, but it's also a really big blessing too. And you know, our, our approach on that has always been that if I do hire someone onto my team, that I'm very clear and concise about like what we can pay. Right. And I always try to make sure that it's above industry average. And if it's not, then I might have to make an arrangement with somebody say like, I've had, I have tons of people that reach out and be like, I want to come do this and this for you, but maybe I'm not looking for that, but I, I feel like I find the right person. I always believe if you find a level talent, you find a way to get them in your team. Right. Like you, you might have to shoot them straight and be like, I have no money to pay you, but if you come here, I'll provide these opportunities and then we'll build a plan for how you can get what you need. Because at the end of the day, same thing with like our clients, it's the same thing with your team members, but you got to really take care of your team members. Like you got to take care of your clients, but if you don't take care of your team, you have no clients. And so for me, it's pay them above industry average, provide them with second to none opportunities right that they can that they can continue growing with and that's going to be different for every every program i mean for me like you know some of people that are coming to us and if they were training horses under our program which i've had a few assistants over the years then i still let them go learn from other people 
you know, I don't hold them hostage to my program. So I, I was like, no, I'll, I'll actually go pay for you to ride with that person as part of your compensation. That way you continue to get better and I'll fund that part of your education because when you come back, you're going to be that much better, right? But also it's clear communicating like with our team members of, I like people that come on with a long-term vision of staying around, right? If someone comes in for a quick turnaround, then there's only so much you can invest in them if, especially if they're not paying you, but if you're paying them and they're only there for six months, there's only so much you can pour into them because from a business standpoint, that's the the most expensive thing is training teams, training team members. And as soon as somebody leaves, but I don't know if I really got around to answering that or like super specifically, but I feel like if a, if a, if a team member has reached their limit within our, with, within our business, which we haven't reached yet, yep. we haven't, we haven't got to that point. But I do, from a principally based standpoint, I do feel like that if someone did do that, that it's only the right thing to to say, hey, listen, I think there's bigger opportunities for you, your family, whatever, if you went and did X, Y, and Z. But some some people might be like, somebody might be like, but I, I like it here. And that might be in somebody's nature. And it's like, my goal is always prov- to provide that. Like when I... I had a kid that tried to come down to train with us, you know, and he reached out. I didn't have a spot for him at the time. And I was like, if this is what you want to do, I will literally build that part of my business so that you can go do it. Right. And it's like, that's how I think if someone reaches out and it's like, I want to ride these kinds of horses with these types of clients. I was like, I can help you get there. I may not have those clients right now, but I'm willing to build the business infrastructure out to, to provide you that opportunity. But you have to commit to sticking around. Yeah, that's and that's that takes a lot of, you know, there's a lot of on on your as a as a business person that actually, you know, that takes a lot to be able to do that to say, hey, I'm gonna, I am going to change my infrastructure for this. Mm-hmm. It's actually for your profit, but I I, I find especially, you know, uh, I don't know if it's just old school people, but that's actually a difficult thing to do, you know, and a lot of the old school mindset is, you know it has to be me and I have to be doing everything and I need to micromanage all of it because if I'm not in complete control, even if somebody to that point, if I'm not in complete control, then I'm not okay with it. But being able to actually say, okay, there's something here that can actually develop my entire program to expand it. And that's going to benefit people both within and outside. Cause you know, you do something like that. Now you're reaching a new audience and you're helping new people. Yeah. And if you're trying to do everything yourself and you're getting physically just expended, like you just have no battery left or mentally you're so scattered and all those things, like you can't really, really running a true business and like understand that there's a big difference. Like most people, whether it's rodeo or even horses, like we decided we didn't want to work a nine to five. We don't like people telling us what to do. So we wanted to go do something else where we had more control over our decision making but the problem is, is that if you're if you cannot step out of your business and go on vacation, if you can't step out of your business to go be with family in a time where your family needs you, you don't have a business anymore. You have a job. Yeah. And a job is when you try to leave work to go be with family and your boss says, no, if you leave, you're going to be fired, and which means you lose your income. Well, the same thing happens for a lot of horse trainers is they leave the barn to go be with family. And they're not there. The horses don't get fed. The horses don't get trained. The clients get upset. So the clients leave with their horses and then their money's gone again. 
And it's like, that's called a job. That's not a business. And when you, when I look at this two ways, like if, if that is the situation, you've got to then create a business. You've got to have team. You've got to implement systems that way. And the team might merely be that you have someone on your phone that you can call. So when you do leave town, your horses are still taken care of. A team might be, you do add an assistant trainer. Like it doesn't mean that you have to go build out the McCutcheons team where there's a ton of people, a part of that operation. Cause there's multiple divisions. Like that doesn't, it doesn't have to be that. It might mean merely having access to one or two people that can fill in or that can be of assistance when you need them. Even if you're still running most of the day to day, Yeah. but you know, you've got, you've got that part of it. And that, that part's super, super, super important from just a business development standpoint, because then you're, then you actually have a business. Like then, then you can actually step away from it. And that second point evaded me. I'm going to come back to it in a second, but um, so, yeah. What do you, I mean, what would you say, I guess, you know, kind of towards the end here, like, what would you say to people, you know, in, in this industry, what would be your biggest advice and what you have to offer and what you're doing and what you're passionate about, um, you know, from the business side, but also from the horse side, because a lot of people are going to be listening and, you know, they're not going to be, they're not going to dive deeper into horsemanship as far as the business is concerned, but they have horses, they ride horses, yeah. maybe they own another business or, you know, what, what would be your. You know, I think the one thing that I keep telling like I'll tag it on social media. I'll, I'll share it with people. And I think this is a good time to share it here is that it's together. We rise the better that we all get in our horsemanship, better we get as athletes, the better that we get as rating or raising better stock. I don't care whether it's bucking bulls or horses, like the better that we get as an industry, the better everybody is, the better that I run my business, the better that the next trainer runs their business, right? The better that the next rodeo athlete gets at working with their sponsors, right? The better that we all get together, and that means helping each other do those things, the better the entire industry gets. And, you know, I'm going to circle back just real quick because the, the second point I was going to make on that thing was that when you're, when your vision, when your dream, when the thing that you have is big enough in your business, you can't do it by yourself. Yeah. Now your vision, that somebody's vision might be, I want to train a handful of horses and I want to have my family on the farm and we're going to run this thing together. And I don't need to have, you know, I don't need to have go down to the Fachuri. I don't need to, that's perfectly fine. But it's like, if you believe that you're going to truly, like if you're not going to hire an accountant to run your finances, so you're going to be in there at 12 o'clock at night, plugging numbers. It's like, hire the damn accountant. Like hire the accountant. Because you have family to go spend time with, right? If run your business, get your numbers, get your pricing in accurate point to where you can hire somebody to clean stalls. Your time, as if you're a good trainer, is not well spent cleaning stalls. You could ride two more horses, three more horses in the time that you could have those stalls cleaned. And if you ride two or three more horses, you can afford that guy. Yeah. So like run the business like a business and look at that vision and go, if we truly value our time, which is why so many of us have said, I don't want to work for this other guy because I value my time and I like making my own decisions. So I started this business. And then it's like, if you truly value your time, then take action and surround yourself with the people that allow you to have your time back. So you can spend your time doing 
the thing that you actually enjoy doing, which might be with your family, it might be training horses, it might be riding bulls, it might be roping calves, like allow, allow your finance money is just, to me, it's just a resource. It's just energy, right? Money is going to come in and it's going to flow. And it's just a resource to be used. Like allow that resource to allow you to live the life that you want to live. And if that means buying for charity horses and training for charity horses and chasing that dream, do it. Do yeah. it. All it takes is energy. But I think when we when we understand that together we rise, like that that to me is the is the big crux that the, the gatekeeping has to go. And that we can share this information, we can help each other run things more efficiently. And I think it's a great thing that the industry, like things are getting more expensive. I'm where my family is, we just bought our first property, you know, and everything's more expensive. Hay is more expensive and like, and it's tough. It's not easy, but are we going to look at it as an obstacle or an opportunity? And we're going to go. One of the things for us that, you know, me and Benny have really, you know, talked about and as, as, as a plan of action and, and really, if we're going to serve people well, you know, if we're going to connect people within this demographic, you know, which is our dream and our passion and our idea in Western Edge App, if we're going to do that, there's two things we that we need to do. We need to make sure that we're not in the weeds too long. People get stuck in the weeds and they never get out of it. And if you never get out of it, it's going to kill your gross. And when you kill your gross, you can't serve as many people and you can't serve people the way you need to serve them because you're stuck doing things that you shouldn't be doing and you're not able to manage well. So getting out of the weeds, you know, making sure that you are, you know, you know, building the business to be able to handle itself in order for you to take that time, which is so valuable and manage it well so to you can serve people quality you know that you can actually give the consumer quality and the second part is is you know our 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 vision is this app this business should function without us if this Mm -hmm. business cannot function without us we're not where we need to be because life happens you know and something could happen to both of us that puts us out of commission for whatever reason and if we're out of commission, what happens? You know, if if your business cannot survive without you, then that business is not where it needs to be because life happens. And, you know, a, a healthy business can actually still manage while you're gone. <laughs> and, and I think it's, it's so important because like it, whether it's a training business or if it's an app or whatever, like, I mean, even for us, like in a training standpoint, I've just merely evaluated, like I still train horses and it's a lot because I I have really nice, I have good clients. I enjoy working with those horses and I like getting better. Those horses give me opportunity to go out every day and get better. It's practice, you know? And, but at the end of the day, I understand that it's implementation game, right? And I understand too, that I've got a daughter that just turned one. I've got my wife. And so when I, um, when I evaluate, when I look at that, I'm like, we have to, we have to be wise about how we're doing this. And so like we, we didn't develop an app, but we have software that's for horse, it's called horse business manager. And it's, it's a CRM platform for horse businesses. And so it has all their website. You can build your website on there. You can manage all of your client details, your horse details. It can manage like, and all that, but for that business, same thing for us, it's, 
been created because it's the exact, my wife has been web designer, graphic design, marketing, branding. That's what she's been doing while I've been building my horse business. So her business has been more quiet because hers has been all word of mouth. And, yeah. and like, I go to a clinic and a trainer's like, man, how did you get your website so nice? I was like, I know somebody happens to be my <laughs> wife. <laughs> you know? And, and she would, she would get referrals from all sorts of people. And then we kind of looked at it and we're like, how could we, what's more scalable? what's something, can we scale the website side or can we scale the horse training side? And same thing with the web development side is we built this software out, which is all the exact systems that our students use, that I've been using, that other people can use, but it provides us the opportunity to, if something happened to me and the money from the horse training went away or the money went from the clinics went away because I'm not out teaching, then they're, they're still good. Yeah. And I think that like in a very selfish sense, like until my daughter was born, it probably, that was kind of like a big lever that I was like, I have to start thinking about this a little differently because now I, I've got to have some kind of business model that will provide should something happen. And yeah. that definitely moves the needle a little bit when you're like, well, if my, if my bank account runs dry, it's no big deal. But when you're like, man, now I've got a whole freaking family to provide for it's a blessing because then, right, from a selfish point, you go, well, how can I serve other people? Like, if I'm going to take care of them better, I know that we have to serve more people and we have to do it in a scalable way that when still provides that, When you do that, it, it's actually very freeing and you begin to actually uh, reach your potential much quicker as yeah. a trainer, I, as, a, as a rider, that's a big thing. So I reached a point where I got a family and I need to consider... If I get hurt, I'm okay with going broke. You know, I'm okay with going broke. But now I have a family that I'm responsible for. And it's important that I'm making decisions that are going to benefit my family. And, you know, with the writing, it's the writing's great. And I'm providing for my family writing. But if I get hurt now, what kind of bind does that put us in? So I need to start and begin to develop, you know, ways in which when I do get hurt, that, you know, I am not stressed to the limit thinking about, you know, ways in which I'm going to do that. And then my writing gets better because now I'm also not reliant on a performance-based, you know, sport. Yeah. That's a big thing and in, in, in kind of developing the Western edge up. Yeah, and it's one of those things too. It's like this constant conundrum between like selfless and selfish. You're like, selfishly, I got to provide for my family. But that's the most selfless thing that you can do because as a man too, we're like, we got to take care of them. Like we got people that depend on us. So selflessly, we've got to find, we've got to do something that maybe, you know, maybe like maybe years ago, you were like, I'm not going to start an app, you know, a tenure. You're like, no, like no way. Like I'm not tech. I'm not in Silicon Valley. I'm not going to do that. But then now you see like, oh, we can actually build something that's super fun for people to use that makes our sport that much better. And it provides for my family. Like that's just the ultimate win. You know, and you and I are talking about tech, right? Like, because we went software route. You guys went, like, two different types of software. Yep, but that was just the routes that we went. And, you know, our our deal, like, we're, we've been, it's been live for the last, gosh, over six months or so. People have been using it, but we haven't launched it, launched it. And we're getting ready to hit live on it probably tomorrow or the next day. And, but, like, when I look at other people that are out there, like, you can, anyone that's listening to this, they're like, well, that's good for you guys. But like you can do a course, you can do a membership like Tyson Durfee. Um, 
you know, I've had an opportunity to spend some time with him and he started his no limits mentorship program. And for all the calf ropers, and it's like, you got to merely look at what do you know? Yeah. What do you know that you can help other people with? And then scalable things like a membership, you build that membership one time. Anytime somebody joins it, they pay every month, you make money. Like, and you could literally, they could buy it at two o'clock in the morning. You wake up and you have more money than you did. When we went to sleep. And that is, that's a, that's some of the stuff that, you know, I hope some people do consider is like looking at the communication side, but then also like, how do you build scalable offers that way? If you do get hurt riding bulls or Bronx or whatever it is that you're not totally out because your sponsor is like, well, now you're not riding. Like, what are we going to do? Like, you don't want that to happen. My big, my big thing. And, and I would encourage people, what do you love doing? What are you talking about? And, and always think about what that is and ways in which maybe you can take action on these things to, to continue to do what you love. Because mm-hmm. if you're working a nine to five and you don't like it from nine to five, you're not doing what you love. And it's much better to take action. And there's always something you can do. If, you know, if it's a podcast completely free to start up, start, just start talking to people, you know, um, if it's horse training and, you know, then take action on it and start training horses. You know, when I started riding bulls, well, the first steps to get on bulls and you can do it and whatever that is. And, and there's always different ways in which you can actually, you know, expand your creativity. And, mm. and, you know, there's probably a billion people that thought about Western Edge, about what we're doing. There's probably a billion people out there, but nobody took action on it. Exactly. You know? It, you know, these ideas, all they take is action and you may fail because I've had a lot of dumb ideas, a lot of <laughs> yeah. action yeah. and they failed. You know, I took action on a lot of dumb ideas, way more than actually took off, but I didn't stop taking action on them. I continued to do it because I knew one thing I wanted to do what I love hmm. for the rest of my life. I want to do what I love. I don't want to do what other people love and I'm forced to do it, you know, and that's going to actually you know, benefit my family and everybody that knows me, because if I'm doing what I love, I am going to be better off loving those people and serving the people that are around me. Mm. Uh, man, it's been awesome having you on here. We'll we'll do it again in yeah, sometime. So right now I broke my leg, so I'm out of commission. So we're going to be doing it, you know, <laughs> over Zoom for a minute now. But in about four months, I'll start traveling again. We'll definitely we'll do it in the wagon. It'll be a good time. How can people find you? What are your what are your tags? And- yeah, I mean, if you just Google or go to coltonlesshorsemanship.com, you can find us there. Um, we have all of our social media platforms from Facebook, Instagram, TikTok. It's all Coltonless Horsemanship um, across the board. And then, you know, we have a professional horseman school, um, which is something I mentioned earlier in the podcast. And then we got horse business managers. So, I mean, all those things are there for those that would like our help. And if you ever, anybody that's listening to this, if you have questions for me, just how do I get from point A to point B in my career? You can always DM me. I'm more than happy to to get back to you. Heck yeah, man. Well, thanks for joining. Yeah, thanks for having me. I appreciate it.